Welcome to Ganas, Leading from the Heart. Our next podcast guest, Jerome Williams, the Junkyard Dog. A few days after recording this interview, Coach John Thompson, his coach at Georgetown University, passed on. Coach Thompson was very influential in the life of Jerome Williams, as he was for Patrick Ewing, Allen Iverson, and many of the Georgetown Hoyas. He was a man who respected, loved, and believed in his players. You'll see in this interview that Jerome Williams, how the impact that Coach John Thompson had in his life. May you rest in power, Coach John Thompson. Live from Gil Silva Family Studio in Salinas, California, the salad bowl of the world. Welcome to the podcast designed to inspire the only one built with ganas. You're going to work harder than you ever worked before. And the only thing I ask from you is ganas, desire, haircut. If you don't have the ganas, I will give it to you because I'm an expert. From the founders of Gill Basketball Academy that empowers youth to play hard, work hard, study hard, and overcome obstacles. People can't do something themselves. They want to tell you you can't do it. You want something, go get it. Period. Real interviews with real people about real life. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. And now it's time for Ganas, leading from the heart. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Ganas, leading from the heart. I am Jose Gill, coach, teacher, father, husband, and lifelong believer in Ganas, which translates to desire. Today on the show, we are extremely excited and privileged to have an ex-NBA star of nine years and uh, current president of the Young Three, um, Jerome Williams from uh, Las Vegas. We have him. And before we get to Jerome, though, I want to introduce my co-host here, Eduardo Rodriguez, who's been in our academy since day one. And uh, we are proud of him. He will be attending UC Davis uh, this coming quarter, so he's my co-host today. So welcome, Eduardo. Thank you for having me, Coach. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, I also want to give a quick thank you to Jerome Williams for joining us today. It's an honor to be able to talk to you and to get us started with. Jerome, JYD, how you doing, my man? Man, I'm doing good, Jose. Man, good to be on the show. Thank you for having me, man. I've uh, watched you from afar, your organization, what you do for not only Latinos, but uh, youth in this community. Um, I think it's wonderful, man. I, I just want, you know, more of my Mexico and my Latinos to get a part of the dog pound. <laughs> you see how we do. We get uh, down. I appreciate you for having me. <laughs> there we go. There we go. I love the energy. I love the excitement. This is going to be a great podcast um, for all our listeners out there and uh, especially our um, the young ones that are aspiring to, to make it, you know. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's about the journey. It's about the ride and it's about the experiences. And, and we have a lot to talk about because, uh, you, you have, uh, you, you've had quite a career, um, in basketball playing, but also now and what you're doing in the community, man, it's, it's amazing, um, to, to see some, a, a former, um, NBA player giving back to the community. And, and we're going to talk about your, legendstreetbasketball.com, you know, website and uh, 
all those things. But before we get to that, um, JYD, I want you to, can you please tell us a little bit about yourself, your upbringing, family, the education, you know, career stuff, so our listeners can get to know you a little bit, please? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I, I, I really grew up as a kid, you know, like many kids in the community uh, with the dream of playing basketball. Uh, I was a, you know, a average player at best, um, a hard worker, um, and I had a lot of heart. And that's why I love about Ghana. You know, that's what your organization represents. And I would have been one of your kids. Yes, I would have been one of your kids out there um, because my parents didn't have money to put me in camps and AAUs and different things like that. Um, and I was able to just go outside and just play. And from a very young age, um, my parents had me in church and, you know, had my spiritual connection, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And for the most part, that was my blessing. That was what really propelled me because at the end of my high school career, um, I ended up being a starter in my senior year. Uh, I was not a starter in my junior year. So... You know, I had one chance to, you know, basically prove myself to Division One scholar, Division One schools, Division Two, II, Division Three. Um, I averaged 16 points my senior year. I didn't get not one scholarship. Uh, again, I was a little bit teetering on the average player um, in high school as well, and you know, nothing came my way. But my best friend, my Lord and Savior. I got on my knees and I prayed. I said, I, I asked for exactly what I needed. Um, I didn't need a scholarship. I didn't need money. I didn't need, um, you know, a better jump shot. I didn't need, you know, a jumping ability. What I needed was seven inches. So that's what I prayed for. I prayed for seven inches, Jose. Wow. And then like seven inches. And I got it that summer. So I grew like Anthony Davis, Scotty Pippen. Dennis Rodman, they're yes. all examples of, you know, guys growing six, seven inches in you know, a short amount of time. And let me tell you something. That was the best prayer I could have prayed. Because after that, I got a better jump shot. <laughs> I got a be- I got more jumping ability. Mm-hmm. And I got a lot of scholarship offers. <laughs> you know, where where there's choices, there's opportunity. And uh, I myself uh, got my degree first from junior college. Um, Montgomery Junior College, and then I just played on the streets of Washington, D.C., and a guy by the name of John Thompson came to watch me play on the streets, and I got a full scholarship offer to Georgetown University um, coming in as a junior, uh, and my teammate who had just signed with Georgetown was a guy you might have heard of, Eduardo Allen Ivey. <laughs> yes, wow. You know, see, see that's the... That's what this is about, you know, real people, real things. And, you know, um, and like you said, that faith, that the, the ganas, the, the belief that things are going to go your way. And, you know, what, nothing's going to stop you. No obstacles are going to stop you. That's, that's, an, that's an amazing story. And, and, uh, and, and thank you for sharing that with us. All right. So, Jerome, uh, you know, go ahead and tell us, uh, where did the nickname of Junkyard Dog originate? Where did it come from? <laughs> I love that. I love answering this question because, you know, um, a lot of kids and, and different people 
you know, these days, sometimes they come up with their own nicknames and different things like that. And that's fine. That's cool. But in the NBA, back in the day, in the, in the 90s, you could not nickname yourself. You, it, illegal, it was illegal. You had to be nicknamed by legends, by Hall of Famers, by other former NBA players. And after they nicknamed you, you had the ability to veto it. So if you didn't like the name, you say, hey, guys, I appreciate you don't call not calling me that. And then they would stop. Um, but if you did approve of it, then all the players knew that, you know, it was cool to call you Junkyard Dog. So without further ado, here's the story. Okay. I get there my rookie year in Detroit. I was the number one pick for the Detroit Pistons in 1996, the most famous draft in the NBA, which featured Kobe Bryant, Steve Nash, Ray Allen, some guys you might have also heard of, other than Allen Iverson, Stephon Marbury, just to name a few, Jermaine O'Neal, just to name a few. And one person didn't even get drafted, Ben Wallace, Defensive Player of the Year and World Champion for Detroit Pistons. That's right. That was my draft, okay? I get to the Pistons. Um, the first practice I go to, I showed up the practice at 10 a.m. I showed up at 9 a.m. I come in. The, the practice still is full with veterans, players, and they say, hey, Rook, you're late. And I said, I thought practice was at 10 a.m. They said, yeah, it is. And I said, I'm an hour early. They said, you're late. Okay. Rick Mahorn was the person telling me this. So the next day I get there at 8.30, an hour and a half. I arrive. Rick Mahorn tells me again, hey, Rook, you're late. And I said, man, I, okay. Next day, I get there 8 a.m., two hours before practice. Rick Mahorn's in the gym. Rook, you're late. But there's only, like, two other people here. Yeah, you're late. So the next day, I get there 7 a.m. The, the trainer has to let me in the gym. There's nobody else in the gym. And Rick Mahorn shows up five minutes after I enter the gym and tells me, hey, Rook, you're on time today. And he said, if you show up on time today like this for the rest of your career, you're going to have a long career. Mm-hmm. Well, from that day forward, I showed all my practices three hours before practice and stayed two hours after. And that's where I got the nickname of Junkyard Dog. I was willing to listen. I was willing to, you know, learn from people who had been there before me. I was willing to take advice. And I was willing to do the hard work. So when opportunity came to get on the court, um, Doug Collins, Hall of Fame coach was our coach. He gave me some garbage minutes. And I treated those last five minutes of the game like I was a starter. Wow. And I went out there and wreaked havoc, was dunking, was getting steals. The game had already been decided, but it wasn't decided to me. To me, it was my opportunity to go out there and work hard and show people what I was made of. And I wasn't I wasn't into this, oh, it doesn't matter anymore. Mm-hmm. I was stealing people. I was taking balls from people. I was getting all the rebounds. I ended the game with five points, seven rebounds, and three steals. Right. So, you know, in that limited amount of time, when I got back to the bench, Rick Mahorn and Grant Long said they unleashed the junkyard dog from the bench. They unleashed the dog. Uh, and from that day forward, the dog town was born. Uh, Great I love it. I love it. Yeah. I love it. You know, and let's go back to the to – when you played at Georgetown from 94, 96, you know, alongside Allen Iverson, um, you, you did it on both ends of the court. And I remember I, w- I was a huge fan of, you know, Hoyas and that whole movement, you know, because uh, 
you know, you, we're on, you guys were on TV a lot, so it was easier for us. They didn't have cable to, to watch on CBS on a Saturday afternoon, you know. Um, yeah. But, you, you know, you were compared to Dennis Rodman at times without the attitude, you know. You I, I, you remember that story and those uh, experiences. Can you talk a little bit more about the experiences with with the Hoyas and, and uh, that era of dominance that you guys went through? Well, you know, shout out to John Thompson because – you know, he gave a lot of African-American young men yes. opportunity to get their education. And it came at a price because at the time, you know, I myself was being recruited by a lot of other schools who were offering me cars, money, and, you know, a lot of things that probably guys, girls, I mean, like guys would, you know, in my position would be enticed with. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was enticed with the fact that you know, I had already, you know, paid for my education, you know, prior to Georgetown. I didn't get any scholarships out of school. I was willing to work. I was willing to get everything honestly uh, with integrity. And that's what Georgetown offered me. They offered me integrity. They offered me no cheat codes. Nobody was going to write my papers in school. Nobody was going to take my test. It was all going to be me. So I could look in the mirror at the end of the day and know, that I earned this Georgetown degree that you see right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's on my wall because that's important. That's important for myself, my kids. You know, I'm now 47 years old. But Georgetown was a great experience. Playing with Allen Iverson, playing with Othello Harrington, Jahadi White, just to name a few pros that were on my team that I went to war with every day. And a lot of other NBA players. You know, when I was a uh, junior, basically an incoming, you know, new player coming in. You know, I got to rub elbows with Patrick Ewing. I mean, you know, he used to come in and, and teach me over the summer just by playing and scrimmaging with me. Alonzo Mourning, Dikembe Mutombo used to block my shot during the summertime and start doing this. And I'd be like, waving you know that what? finger. Yeah, waving the finger. And, you know, you know, I, the list goes on. Reggie Williams. And, uh, you know, um, Charles Smith, uh, all these guys came back and played and, and helped the next generation. And that's what I really appreciated because they understood, they, they, they accepted the same, you know, uh, uh, basically program that I accepted. No money, you know, no, no, <laughs> no cars mm-hmm. <laughs> and no girls. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, that. Big. That's big in college basketball, and so that fraternity is one of the purest to this day in college basketball. You know, no, no disrespect to anybody else, and not to say that anybody's doing that or, or not doing that. But I can tell you one thing: Allen Iverson, Patrick Ewing, Alonzo Mourning, Dikembe Mutombo are all Hall of Famers that didn't accept didn't accept payment. They didn't accept money. They, all they wanted was to go to school and play ball. And I'm one of those guys. And as you can see now, I'm taking full advantage of that education by trying to share that same process with young people all over the globe. Yeah, very well said. And, you know, and especially during a uh, time that we're going through right now of uh, um, us people of color, you know, uh, you know, the, the, the unfortunate and uh, unacceptable, you know, 
things happen in society uh, to us. And, and uh, I, I, you said it when you said John Thompson, uh, Coach Thompson, uh, gave you guys and, and African Americans a chance, you know, went, went after and he wanted um, that. He, he knew what he was recruiting, you know, and uh, um, it's, it's, it's beautiful to know that um, um, Coach, that he had a heart. You know, to say, okay, you know, I, I, I want these hardworking kids that deserve this, right? Not the privilege that expect it, you know, and, and uh, amen to that, you know, because I, I, I've, I've heard stories and I've heard, um, I've seen many interviews and, and, but he was, he was a day one, right? From day one. Yeah. Yeah. And I can give you a story, Jose, real quick. Um, you know, just, you know, you know, the fame of, of college sports. And you know that especially a program as big as Georgetown that competes against the UNCs, the Dukes, the, you know, um, the Kansas, Kentucky, yeah. all these elite schools. It was an elite school. So we still, you know, as players, were treated like we got those things. Um, and I remember, uh, you know, just as a young boy coming up, reading in the paper, John Thompson, local Georgetown University head men's basketball coach, confronts drug lord. That wow. drug lord was Rafer Alston, Alston in, in, in D.C. and controlled the major drug cartel for cocaine and crack on the entire East Coast. Wow. Coach Thompson brought him to the office and and basically threatened him without threatening him, meaning yeah. he said you cannot give money uh, or, or, or benefits or shoes or anything to my players, and which had already been kind of going on. So he put a stop to it, basically just cut it off at the knees and, and, and basically, again, protected the players um, from all kinds of you know, other outside things that we already had agreed that we didn't need if we were able to go to Georgetown. Mm -hmm. So that was one thing that I can always point to that, you know, set everything aside when you start talking about Black Lives Matter and brown people and, and what people are willing to do. He basically put his life on the line. Yes. You, you know, <laughs> as, a, as a person affiliated with Mexico, and Hispanics and Latinos, you know, you know that cartels you can't, you know, <laughs> say certain things to. <laughs> yeah. And he did, and he's still here living. Yep. Um. So he did it respectfully, but he respectfully let him know, don't mess with my players. Yeah. It's a real talk, Big. man. Real talk. So, you know, Jerome, yeah. talking about uh, Coach John Thompson. Um. Tell us how influential was he, um, in your development as a player and also as a person. So as a player, and, and you know this coach, Jose, right? Yeah. When you're watching players out there play, you see, man, that kid's a great rebounder, mm -hmm. right? You tell him. And you say, man, that kid right there, that's a great playmaker. He, he really shares the ball. And you say, man, that guy over there, that's a great shooter. And you start going down the line. Now, us as players, as individuals, we look at it as a game of we want to be the best or we want to – to be the Michael Jordans, the Magic Johnsons, the, the elite, mm -hmm. right? But we need a coach 
that's going to point out our strength. That's what Coach Thompson did. Wow. Jerome Williams, you know, before I was JYD, he said, hey, man, you're, you're a phenomenal, um, you know, athlete at 6'9". You can handle the ball. You can shoot. You can, you know, do these things. But he said, but your gift is rebounding. And I was like, look at him, like, rebound? Yeah, what? <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, I'm trying to be magic out here. Yeah, I'm trying yeah, to be, yeah, yeah. you know, like that's what we do. I want to be the next Dr. J. I yes. want to, you know, and, and he said, he said, and he just shake his head. He's like, look, if, listen to me. If you want to play in the NBA, all you have to do is rebound. And as a player, as a young person, you're taking in this information and you can't understand it. I didn't. I was like, I don't know what he's saying, but that doesn't even make sense to me because I can do these things. Now, mind again, I was playing with a future Hall of Famer, Allen Iverson. I was also playing with a down, low post, all-American, already established, Othello Harrington, who have, was under the lineage of Patrick Ewing, Alonzo Mourning, and the Kimbe. Yeah. So I started doing the math, started thinking to myself, well, I can't do what they're doing. I'm not there yet. You know, I can't make these exciting plays like AI. I'm not a low post threat like Othello. I'm kind of like this in-between. And I started saying to myself, how many picks are in the NBA draft? Well, 30 in the first round. Hmm. Those guys are already going to go in the first round. So in order to get another Georgetown player in there with all the other schools that are out here, hmm, I got to really start to really think about what Coach Thompson is telling me. Now, I already led the Big East in rebounding. So, I just thought rebounding was just too easy. I didn't really value that for myself. It was just something that came easy to me. But then once I said, I'm going to listen to Coach Thompson, I was drafted first round, and I would have been a lottery pick if it hadn't been for kids like Ray Allen, Sharif Abdul-Rahim, Kobe Bryant, who decided to come out of school early like Allen Iverson. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, and, and uh, let, let's talk about that. I know you, you mentioned it earlier, but let's talk about that 96 NBA draft where it, arguably I think it's the best draft ever, you know, and I think many people do. Um, but, you know, your your boy, Allen Iverson, went number one, right? That was expected. You know, uh, Ray Allen, number five, Kobe at 13, but Nash at 15, and then Fish at, you know, Derek Fisher at 24, and you at 26, it, it, it gives me chills just to kind of know, I mean, to even dream of being in that category, right? And uh, um, what, what was going through your mind? How, how was that whole process? Because it, we, we always live life and we always try to climb that ladder and go. But sometimes it's okay to stop and, and, and look down and say, man, look, at I've, yeah. I've accomplished this. I've accomplished that, right? And uh, – you know, how? Talk talk about it now because you should be very proud and extremely uh, grateful, right, that you yeah. know, you've been blessed with that. And 96 draft, man, how, how was that feeling? Hey, I'm going to tell, tell Eduardo this because he's a young player, Got it. right? He's sitting next to you. He's, I can tell he's soaking all this in. NBA is the business of basketball. Don't try to understand it. And don't try to actually make it. All you have to do is, is improve your skills and they will find you. But here's the thing. 
I'm sitting in the NBA draft, right, with my parents and my family. Love you. And uh and I'm I'm not getting picked. I'm getting passed over, passed over, passed over, and I don't know why. I don't I can't understand what's happening. I was at the NBA pre draft and we had to scrimmage and, and you know, play against and, and compete. And I was the MVP of the NBA pre draft and it's called the Desert Classic back in the day. And I won it over Steve Nash, who was actually on my team at the time, right? Um, and he got picked before me. And I'm like, wow, I was the MVP of this whole thing. And I, and Steve Nash got picked before me. So I'm sitting there like, whoa, what is the deal? Eduardo, it wasn't me. It was business of basketball. Okay? Now I'm going to give you this last example. The pick number 24 that Jose just talked about. Pick number 24 was the L.A. Lakers. I had interviewed with them. I had tried out with them. And they said to me, JYD, Jerome Williams, there's no way you're going to be available at 24. We appreciate you coming doing this interview. If you are available, we're, you know, we're going to pick because <laughs> there's, there's no way you're going to be here. Right? They pointed that out to me. Here comes pick number 24. All right. Obviously, you know, I didn't get picked. <laughs> they picked their pick. Yeah. But years later, right, years later, Mitch Kupchak tells me the story. And he says, Jerome, you know the draft, right? 1996. Yeah. He said, you know, we had tried you out and everything. And they told you that, you know, we told you that, hey, we we're going to pick you, right? And, and I said, yeah. He said, well, as a business, we had you know, obviously, you know, put you on the board, but we didn't think you were going to be there. So when you were, there was a split in the Lakers organization. And I said, wow, what do you mean? He said, the organization was split. They were, it was between you and Derek Fisher. So half of the organization was saying, well, look, we got this guy available who's amazing. And they were like, well, we got this other guy that's amazing too that we pretty much knew he was going to be available you know, because of all the other point guards in the draft, and we pretty much settled on him. So it went all the way up the ladder to the owner. The owner said, I'm going to flip a coin. Head is JYD, their own win. Tail is Derek Fisher. Just well, like that. He flipped it because he only had three minutes to decide. And within that three minutes, the argument went, they couldn't decide. They called the owner. He flipped the coin. It was tails. Wow. And Derek Fisher got chosen. And wow. then the next pick, they had already decided as well. They were going with Roy Rogers. That was Memphis. Uh, well, it was Memphis, but it, at the time it was Vancouver. Mm -hmm. Vancouver Grizzlies. So here comes the Detroit Pistons pick. Their pick was already decided too. Grant Hill who was at a lot of those local outdoor games, you know, street ball, yes. indoor gymnasium games that I played with and played against him, called the owner and told the owner, do not pass on Jerome Williams. Doug Collins was the general manager at the time. He got the call from the owner. 
who got the call from Grant Hill. And I was the next person picked in the draft and David Stern and the rest is history. So you can't control it is the whole message to all the youth. All you can control is how hard you work, you know, how how often you listen to your coaches and, and what you're willing to sacrifice for your team. Because I was willing to sacrifice for my team and be the best rebounder, be the best playmaker, and try to, you know, help the team. And because of that, you know, I got drafted, I got picked, but there can only be so many Michael Jordan yeah. and Magic Johnson and LeBron James and Allen Iverson and Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant was the last person picked in the lottery. Yeah. And if you if you redo the draft today, I guarantee you, uh, yeah. you know, Philly might not be choosing AI. Yeah. Yep. They might be choosing a hometown hero. But you know the rest—it's the, history now. Yeah. But they all—it all—it all—you know—it comes out in the water. It, it worked out. You know, I, I would, yeah. If would I be twenty-six picks today? Uh, I mean, I mean, I'm twenty-six picks after they figured out I was going to be a junkyard dog. Probably yeah, not. Probably I not. Would, I would have moved up. Yeah. And I'm in every uh, redraft order draft. <laughs> that's ever been done since the United States and I'm not the point to pick. Yeah. so the whole point is what Jose said you know the blessing is you get picked and the business of basketball is you have to go out there and prove yourself so if those two things happen it, it won't even matter so I was blessed to be there and man it's a blessing to even be on your show so oh, I appreciate my- you guys shout out to Ghana yeah most definitely you. you know and you know you had a nine year NBA career Drafted by the Pistons, went to the Knicks in New York, Chicago Bulls, and the Toronto Raptors. And you know, and I know there's a there's a, a lot of love in all of them, but but for some reason the Toronto, you know, being part of that organization, they gravitated. But you started to get involved in the community, and now as a president of the Young Three, um, and, and doing amazing things for the youth, LegendStreetballBasketball.com. I, I kind of want to talk about those two uh, projects you have going on. And let's tell our podcast listeners because I want them all to be able to connect immediately after they hear this podcast because um, this is going to take off, man. I'm a believer in it, and I'm a big fan of it. So, Hey, I appreciate that, man. You know, um, coming up, like I said, I, I've always had a heart for kids who could not afford to go to camps and clinics and play on AAU teams because I never did. So everything I've tried to do has always been about the community and the youth and uh, being able to provide opportunities. Um, I've traveled the globe with the NBA as a global ambassador and visited countries from Mexico to Africa to China to Europe. And with the goal in mind of just uh, helping kids have fun in the game of basketball. And opportunities have come my way. You know, when, when Ice Cube, Wanted to do the big three, a three-on-three, and launch a new product project for professional basketball. I was all in. I got drafted um, in the first round <laughs> again, yeah. and uh, and I played, you know, one year with the with the big three, and 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 led my team in points, rebounds, and assists in the playoffs. So, you know, everybody knows it's, it's nothing until you go to the playoffs, and I led my team in every category at the age of 45. So 
that's saying something. And having said that, that's how I became the young three president um, to lead the youth because I was always about trying to help them. And that organization has taken off. Um, we've had uh, young three camps and tournaments in over 20 major U.S. cities. Um, it's grown in numbers. Uh, Adidas was a huge part of that as a sponsor. Uh, moving forward, I know year uh, four is getting ready to come up for the big three because year three, we weren't actually able to um, actually have a, a season this summer due to COVID. Yeah. But I know big things are on the horizon. And leading the big thing, man, legendsreetbasketball.com. Mm. It's coming at you, Jose. I want all the kids in your organization oh, yes, to get involved with this. And all they have to do is go on to that website and click on play it. Um, sign up because the, 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 the winds are changing. The winds are changing and players' brands are being started at a very much younger age. NCAA has created that new rule, name, image, and likeness. And in 2021, players will be able to start capitalizing as they are, as you know, as soon as as soon as they're five years old, you know, all the way up through college, they can now profit from this. And this is a game changer because other countries they already do it in Europe, in China. You can play professional sports at a younger age, but in some reason. In the United States, basketball, you're not allowed to do that. I wonder why. Hmm. Could it have to do with the fact that there's so much money involved that <laughs> they want to make sure they lock in the talent yeah. of the players at a very young age where they cannot monetize what they're worth. But yes, if you play the game of golf, you can do that. If you play the game of tennis, you can do that at a very mm. young age. You can do whatever age, but for basketball players, hmm, and how many minorities play basketball? Well, quite a few. Quite a few. Why? Because it's one of the cheapest sports out there that most minorities can afford. So if you limit the amount of economics that these players can actually, you know, be involved in early on, and you control that ecosystem, as does the NBA and the NCAA, it makes it very difficult for families, players to ever, you know, uh, be able to monetize their talent. But LegendStreetBasketball.com is going to help players do just that legally. Not something that's far-fetched. It's just never been created. And now with the new NCAA rules, it's going to make it legal to do it. So, JYD, I'm all about this golf town right here. Yes. And I got a lot of kids that have cheered for me, had barked for me, had families who have fought for me and, 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 and rooted me on, and I'm doing the exact same thing. I'm going to make sure they have a platform to create their own golf town and their own nickname and their own you know, platform to basically do whatever they want to do. And that includes clothing lines, you know, other other aspects of, of commerce around the game of basketball with products and everything. So it's going to be a, a huge thing. And cool, as long as you're in AAU, we're going to find you. 
we had over five tournaments before COVID, and we had over 2,000 kids, teams come through these tournaments that are called Legends Showcases, and it was bananas. So, yeah, we look forward to seeing oh, we're excited. That future best Legends event because you know every road leads to Vegas. <laughs> yes, no. yeah, yeah. We're 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 excited to possibly you know col- collaborate and uh, with our with our basketball academy and legendstreetballbasketball.com, You know, uh, you can you can get on there and uh, follow them and and be- become part of this movement because it's a is a movement for change and uh, for all the dreamers out there and kids. I mean, it's it's another outlet to save lives, man. So. You know, we're, we're, we're winding down our, our, our show. This has been an amazing podcast having you on there. Um, Ganas is the name of our show, and you exemplify that perfectly, JYD, as a storied ex-NBA player and uh, demonstrating it currently through your commitment to the community. What advice do you have for our podcast listeners out there when it comes to the topic of Ganas? You know, my, my, my advice, uh, is this no matter what whether it's basketball another sport in life it's all going to lead to one road your spirituality and your connection um, develop that connection because blessings come down um, there is a law of the universe and the laws of the universe never fail um, be a good person Yes. Treat people fairly. Um, respect your fellow man. Uh, you know, and that's what I see in so much of these movements that have upset so many people. Every day I leave my house, I have no ill will towards any other race, ethnicity, color, creed. Um, I love everybody. Well, that's because of my faith. That's because of the time I've spent in relationship with Jesus Christ. So it's unfortunate that another race could potentially not like me because of the color of my skin and I could end up dead. As many have seen a lot of my other African-American brothers and sisters who are innocently killed. So I just give the advice of, you know, try to, develop a relationship where you'll understand that you'll value everybody. You'll value every human being. Um, and it won't have anything to do with the law or a piece of paper. It'll just be through your heart. You know, it'll be through Ghana. Mm-hmm. It'll be right there. So keep doing what you're doing, but understand the laws of the universe will prevail. There we go. Wow. There we go. Powerful. You know, so uh, we're going we're gonna to finish off with our final segment of this of this show. Uh, it's called the carnasada portion, you know, and, and we love to barbecue, man. And, and Eduardo we knows do. here. He's a witness of my barbecue in the backyard, you know. Well, uh, I want to be a, I want to be a witness, Jose. <laughs> I want I want the dog pound to witness the barbecue. Yes, sir. Man. Yes, sir. It'll happen. <laughs> It'll happen. You'll get the invite. But I love to queue it up and we're going to. We're gonna put you on the grill a little bit with some questions, some some rapid fire questions, and like like you know we've been doing this interview, man, straight from the heart, flowing and uh, in rhythm. So we're gonna ask you some questions, and you know whatever comes to your mind, okay? So 
game on the line. Who do you have taking the last shot, Luca or Lillard? Luca. Oh. Oh wow. Okay. All right. Uh, next one. When you're working out, what's your favorite song to listen to? Uh, my favorite. Um, uh, all about the paper. GS. Okay. Okay. And I got here's the next one. Uh, Nike or Adidas. Ooh. <laughs> hey, on a Friday night, Nike. Uh, Nike, okay. That's a good Sunday one. Sunday morning, eat it. <laughs> <laughs> well, best dunker of all time. And I and let me let me a little story that goes with it. I was uh telling my own my two boys and my daughter that every time I watch the All-Star Weekend, NBA, Slam Dunk concert, JYD, you will be there. You're courtside. You're 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 involved, man. You you got that passion to be connected still. But you've been to many dunk contests. Best dunker of all time, in your opinion? Man, you know I've been to them almost all, and I've seen them up close and personal, front row access. Thank you to Adam Silver. Uh-huh. I would have to say, man, best dunker. Shoot, man, look. My teammate, the guy, is airness. You know, Vince Carter yep. is probably the best dunker um, yes, of all time. Yes. He was yeah. able to pull off those same dunks that he did in the slam dunk contest in game. Yes. I mean, those, those, those incredible 360 windmills were actually in-game dunks that the fans understood were going to happen. Dr. J is obviously one of my all-time favorites. Michael Jordan, Dominique, Sean Kemp. Um and even the new crew, the new crew of dunkers, you know, Aaron Gordon and 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 my other high flyer, uh, Zach Levine, uh, phenomenal rivals. But in game, Vince Carter, best dunker all time. That's why he gets the vote because those guys can do it great, you know, in an isolated situation. But when it came to in in game, it was serious. Vince Carter. Okay. Okay. Uh, favorite NBA team you played for. Big, oh, let's go. Let's go, teammate. Let's go, teammate. Teammate, Moochie North. Moochie North. Okay. He was on the street. We were catching the subway to the same street ball games that you know I got recruited at. <laughs> wow. That's a, that's a that's a you know that's a great story, Moochie. You know, amazing what he did and and uh, his career as well. You know, so. I, I like that. I like that. Stay loyal to your guys, man. So you know, le- legends, uh, legendsstreetball.com. Let's let's go ahead and and uh, all our listeners out there, um, go on and and big three, young three, all the videos that you're posting. Keep on doing that to give back to the kids, and you're impacting kids everywhere. You know, here in our area, Monterey Bay area, and Salinas. I know I know our academy kids have been watching them. So, so thank yep. you for doing that, and thank you for for doing everything that 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 you're doing, man. You got big fans here, and we look forward to collaborating with you, sir. You Thanks, know? man. I really appreciate being on the show. Go to Legend Street Basketball. You know, Jose Eduardo. It's the new TikTok. <laughs> it's got that feature on there. You can go up and upload your your basketball videos. Your your uh, you know, and have legends like me following you and liking. So that's. That's big time for kids. I want to see the best highlights out there, your best moves, and uh, I want to see what you're up to on the basketball court. LegendStreetBasketball.com. There we go. And that's our show for today. 
We'd like to thank Jerome Williams, junk, Junkyard Dog, JYD, for being a special guest on our podcast. Um, and thank you, Eduardo, for, for co-hosting with me. It was an honor. From our GBA family to yours, continue to lead with ganas. My heritage is deep in my veins, blood of a king, not different than most. I come from a long line of hustlers, we dig from the dirt, no need to boast. My heritage taught me to fight, they move in their brains while they bust in their back. My heritage made me a wolf, I'm ready for battles, I leave my pack. My head held high cause I'm proud of my roots, my heritage. It gave me a boost, gave me a boost to the top, now I'm fair that we running from the cops. Now this is America, don't sound a surprise. They go on the news and spread it with lies. Truth that evil's in different forms, the rich can get richer, bro is a norm. History repeats itself, that's how it goes. Trump signing bills, my college Jim Crow's. What's up, it's the fan, we still got each other. I trust in my neighbor, just like my brother. Our heritage taught us the power of unity. We always on top as we got community. And I take that over money any day. We stick together, our problems gonna fade away. My heritage taught me when there's a will, there's a way. We need to find that way. My heritage, my heritage, my heritage. It taught me to hustle, my heritage, my heritage, my heritage. It taught me to fight, my heritage.